Happy Friday, and thanks for spending another week with us here on the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And Jim... We've done it again. We've got another great guest. Uh, this gentleman is uh, somebody I'm proud to call a friend. We've known each other, uh, boy, 15 years or a little bit more than that. I first met him when he came to Microsoft to talk to us about uh, the XPRIZE Foundation and private space flight. And uh, for some reason, he's had the bad sense to be my friend ever since. Uh, his name is Eric Lindbergh. And if that last name sounds familiar and you're asking yourself an obvious question, the answer is yes, he is uh, a relation. Uh, Charles Lindbergh's grandson and a noted aviator and inventor and environmental analyst and advocate in his own right. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking some time to be with us on this one. Thanks, Hal, and thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. it it's really exciting. I mean, I, I, I keep wondering that the, the thing that when I when I think about your family, just the whole the whole uh, the whole Megillah of it all, um, your your grandparents uh, were uh, aviation pioneers. I know your dad was involved in basically inventing uh, cave diving with scuba work, and um, and you've uh, recreated your your grandfather's uh, flights and have as as uh, Hal was just mentioning have been very involved in the X prize and just creating this new generation of amazing things happening to get people from point A to point B and and all the points in between I I keep thinking when when you're born a Lindbergh and you wake up every day and everybody goes you're a Lindbergh that you have to you have to come up with something amazing just to just to keep up with everything I mean, what is what has it been like growing up in a, in the Lindbergh family I know that's a big question <laughs> Well, you know what? That's a huge question, Jim, and I, I I so appreciate it. People people have expectations, and that's actually a hard thing. I think um, growing up as a Lindbergh, I knew there was something cool and different about my grandfather, but it was also kind of a real um, a burden, if you will. There's there's no way you can fill the guy's shoes, and um, you know I think it. it for me, it took becoming disabled and then getting another chance at life for me to realize, oh, I don't know if I'll get a third chance at life. You know, I, I need to live now. And and figuring out how to walk in his footsteps without having to fill his shoes was a was a big issue. And it freed me up to pursue XPRIZE and help create the private spaceflight industry and now to push on the electric aircraft industry. It, 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 it's not all easy being a Lindbergh, um, but it can also get you in the door. And if you're working on something amazing and cool and fun, you know, that can be an advantage. So it's it's both. Wow. And Eric, I'm always struck, uh, you know, you and I, we've known each other quite some time. And, you know, we've been at a number of the same events and things. Uh, I think I've even introduced you once or twice over the years. And I'm always struck at uh, at the number of people who want to come up and, and share with you some vignette about what uh, what your grandfather and your grandmother and Marl meant to them. You know, they want to sort of thank them uh, through you, and they want to express that appreciation through you. And you know, I know that's something that uh, that seemed pretty foreign. I know you struggled with it uh, as a younger man, but um, I have never seen you be anything but extraordinarily gracious about that. And I think you've given uh, you've given a lot of people a real gift by being open to that. Uh, 
that sort of feedback. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, Hal, and it, it it that's a part of that challenge. People come up and and introduce you and uh, themselves to you, and and you know you kind of wonder what this is all about. It's not about me. But as I sort of had that evolution of my own spirit and and grew into being a Lindbergh and and really started celebrating that, it's it's really allowed me to understand and and really smile in the face of interesting, odd, and amazing people who were inspired by my grandparents. And I'll tell you what, they keep coming and I keep hearing more and and understanding amazing things that they did and the ways that they touched people in their lives that was extraordinarily positive. Um, you know, there are, of course, some negatives. Some some guy came up to me and said, you know, I didn't like your grandfather. And I, really? <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, here's a new one. And yeah. uh, and he said, yeah, I, I I I waited in line. I was I was 14 years old and and I asked him for his autograph and he said no. <laughs> and I went, I'm sorry. And this guy's like 85 years old now and um, it, it it affected him so much in his life that um, that he told me about it. Right, All this 70 time. years later, that's amazing. Just waiting on that payback is just <laughs> oh. a tough one. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a complex legacy, a very intense. Grandfather was perhaps the most famous person on the planet for about 10 years straight, and it was good, and it was incredibly bad also. And nobody else had that experience at that time in life when communications, it was really the first time that communications sort of instantly spanned the globe. And I think, um, you know, the poor kid, but, Grandfather had a policy of not giving autographs or he'd be stuck signing autographs for the rest of his life. And he really wanted to move ahead beyond that flight, the one thing that he was known best for, and try to change the world in other ways. And he did so in so many amazing and extraordinary ways by adopting policies like that, which weren't so good for that kid. And so <laughs> if you ask me, I'm happy to sign anything. <laughs> exactly. I've got a couple of checks that I'll uh, that I have, to, have to ask you to sign. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking about Charles Lindbergh, and presumably everybody out there knows exactly uh, why we know his name, but uh, May of 1927, so 90 years ago, within just a few days of, uh, of uh, when this episode airs, in fact, 90 years ago, he won the Ortique Prize by flying solo uh, from New York to Paris. Now, solo wasn't a requirement, it was just he flew nonstop New York to Paris first First person to do that, not the first person to fly across the Atlantic, often misunderstood. Made this flight uh, where others were failing, uh, a couple even died in the attempt. Uh, won this prize uh, that uh, Raymond Ortiz very cleverly leveraged his investment in aviation. He put forth $25,000 and hundreds of thousands were spent uh, trying to win that $25,000. Of course, your grandfather won. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, Eric, but... But as you said, you hit on something very important. He's the most famous person in the world. And I, I think about this a lot. I've racked my brain quite a bit, especially you know, here in Oshkosh. We're doing some things uh, involving you, Eric, too, with the 90th anniversary of the flight. Uh, we just had, I just sat again in our Spirit of St. Louis replica. It was flying just today. We're commemorating that. But I don't think there's anybody you can point to, with the possible exception of, of, of maybe a U.S. president here or there. But even still, I don't think that there was a singular celebrity who's who's been bigger even since i i just can't think of who it would be yeah i it, it, it's it's hard it, the mind boggles with it and of course i wasn't alive um we we weren't alive so it, it, all you can do is really look back at that time in history and sort of immerse yourself in it and think about it 
what was it? And and for the first time, as I mentioned, communications almost instantaneously went all the way around the globe with radio. And so the, the globe quickly knew what he had done while all these other people had failed. And as you mentioned, um, being a solo, a solo flight, it may have been an advantage for him to be solo. We know now that some of the competitors for the Ortega Prize fought with each other and they didn't make it. Others overloaded their aircraft and had to build huge aircraft multi-engine aircraft and loaded it up with food and of course in an airplane the more weight you carry the more energy you need which means you're carrying more weight which needs means you need more energy <laughs> which is a negative feedback loop right. and so going single engine single pilot he could control everything with that flight and reduce all the other risks may have upped his risk of um you know falling asleep or passing out due to this you know sort of stress of it all and not sleeping but he really figured out the combination of off-the-shelf equipment and in the ryan spirit of st louis and then also what he did cutting the corners off his maps to save weight some of his competitors carried champagne and croissants so they <laughs> could party when they won but of course they mm. crashed on takeoff so it, it's it's a fascinating and amazing story oh just you know where he went with that in life and the pressures he faced as a result of that fame were, were I think, unimaginable. And Absolutely. that is intense. And it was a barrier for me to put myself out into the public. So that was a part of the what I had to sort of um, break through. Some, some, some limitations are sort of external limitations and others are, you know, our personal limitations. And my, my personal journey was kind of amazing in that I was able to, through disability, I got rheumatoid arthritis at a young age and um, couldn't walk, became disabled, and then had another chance. And and through that enabled me to sort of shed all my personal barriers and sort of push through a lot of the external barriers that has led me on a great journey and, and enabled me to help with jumpstarting the private space industry and pushing on the electric aircraft industry Really, um, it's a, it's a, it's been a great journey. If, um, sometimes hard, it's also been sometimes extraordinary. Thinking back in the, you know, the context of this, uh, this part of this film, uh, The Rocketeer, you know, this is taking place, uh, in uh, October 1938. So a little 11 and a half years after the flight. Um, actually, Jim, maybe you want to step us through the, the minute. This is, you're, you're so good at that. And, uh, you know, get us to the point where we're we're talking about, you know, why Eric is with us today. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, we we are watching. I mean, as as we're watching this uh, movie, we're watching the aftermath of a rather hellacious flight of the uh, the X three Cirrus uh, rocket through the through the hangar, and uh, uh, PV and uh, Cliff have just turned off the uh, the machine, and it, it seems to be cooling down as a as they're uh, as they come up to it, they notice that it's a uh, a double walled chamber that that keeps the housing cool so it doesn't explode it's kind of like um um very similar actually very similar to uh, a product that uh that your grandfather uh, sponsored with uh, robert goddard a, lo a lot of people don't know about uh the it, it, the later life of, of charles Lindbergh in american not only aviation history but in rocketry he funded um robert goddard after robert goddard made his uh uh you know record-setting flight in 1926 uh he uh contacted um uh, an endowment from D uh, Daniel Guggenheim. They moved uh, Goddard's entire operation out to the New Mexico desert, 
and Goddard continued to work on gyroscopic uh, navigation and, uh, more importantly, cooling around the outside of, uh, of the engine nozzle by, by pumping uh, the propellant and the liquid oxygen through the the actual bell of the engine, which was, I mean, that, that was a major part of uh, Robert Goddard's work. We're seeing a similar thing here, not, not for the same purposes, but but very similar. The uh, the X3 on this has a double-walled chamber where there's a, a rocket engine inside of a cooling tank where the alcohol is flowing around, and uh, that that keeps, uh, at least in the in the sense of this movie, that keeps the engines from overheating and exploding. So uh, we watched Cliff and PV try to figure out why would anybody build this giant engine that, that can cool itself down really quickly. And, uh, and of course, Cliff figures out that the straps are to put on your shoulders and, uh, and, and tie it around your waist, and all of a sudden you're ready to go in a rocket belt. And, you know, excuse me, Jim, very quickly, um, since, uh, since we, we know he's listening, but even if he wasn't, uh, Billy Campbell, some of my favorite acting of his in the entire film, and, uh, you know, I love the guy to death, start to finish, but right about second 36, he's strapped it on. He's looking at PV. He's got this, his, his eyebrows are up. He's got the sort of wide eyed look. And then he gets, he leans in and then he gets this tiny little smirk that just starts to turn into a smile as, as you see the wheels ticking and everything else like that. There's no dialogue. There's no nothing. And to me, it's, it's absolutely inspired because you know what he's thinking and you know, he's, he's yeah. almost asking PV for permission in a way because of that mentor relationship they have. But he's just, he's just saying, Look how cool this is going to be. Yeah, and it, it's a beautiful, that Spielberg push in the camera shot while everybody just kind of stares. So, so Billy, if you're listening, did I mention we're fans? <laughs> so uh, the, re- the reason that we – the next scene where, where we finally end that scene is we go out to um, a flight school, which happen to, happens to be called Lucky Lindy's Flight School, which is also on the same – it's on the same airport that where the Bigelow Airfield is, in Chaplin Field. And uh, – at the time, you know, Lucky Lindy was the, the the phrase Lucky Lindy was synonymous with aviation, and uh, you know that was uh, Char- Charles Lindbergh's nickname. And uh, fortunately, fortunately for Cliff and Peavy, they have an instant test subject by a bronze statue of of the aviator there that uh, we watched them saw saw him down and throw him in the back of uh, Peavy's uh, Model T uh, truck, and uh, that kind of just ends the minute there as we as we watch them drive off with uh, with this bronze statue from the Lucky Lindy Flight School. Um, one thing I've always wondered: uh, your de- your grandfather must have missed an awful lot of marketing opportunities for you know everybody using uh, Lucky Lindy as a phrase, and I know it was used in sheet music, it was used in movies. They named a dance after him, the Lindy Hop. Yeah, and you know, the classic. There's dance. there's air there, uh, St. Louis Airport, isn't that Lindbergh Field? Sure. Yeah. Or so, yeah. San Diego also. Uh, San Diego. Yeah. yeah. San Diego. Louis, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's Lambert. Yeah, San, San Louis Diego. is Lambert. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, the uh, uh, but I, I keep thinking, gosh, nowadays, you know, Elvis has Elvis. They have a rights management for the name of Elvis. Babe Ruth even has has that. I don't. Is there a rights management for uh, for Lucky Lindy, or is that just too far in the past to register? I don't know how that works. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Jim. Actually. Um, my grandparents, uh, actually, I should say my grandfather and, and the people who were around him at that time, including Guggenheim, thought, you know, we need to really protect him from the sharks of that day, the advertising, the, the CD, whatever, newspapers and hucksters and so forth. If we thought it was bad today, I mean, put ourselves back to the 20s when information was um, whatever was printed. And the truth might have been a part of that. Um <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think, first of all, he hated the name Lucky. 
So he never would have had anything to do with that um, because he 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 prided himself in taking every element of risk out of that flight. That was, you know, modern risk management. He cut the corners off of his maps. He didn't carry a radio. Who was he going to call out there? And, and, and so forth. So he ensured his survival by superior planning. Um, and, you know, when I think about it, of course he was lucky. He flew a right <laughs> whirlwind engine for 33 hours and it, and it lasted. And he went across the Atlantic essentially blind. Yes, he had some weather information, but there's always a couple of big low pressure systems in the Atlantic. And we know now that he must have been blown around one to the north and blown around the other one to the south. And he ended up right back on course because he held his course with dead reckoning. That's pretty extraordinary. So anyway, there's the whole, you know, his um, feeling about the the term lucky, Lindy. Um, and at the end, when I was a uh, a young man, um, they had uh, a lawyer who protected that name, the Lindbergh name, uh, name, likeness, and signature from commercial purposes. So, so there was no use of um, name, likeness, or signature allowed. Of course, people cheated on that, and they sold Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh radios and other things. They would be shut down most of the time, um, but the ones who asked permission were um, basically told no, and the ones who didn't kind of got away with it or got away with it for a while. So uh, it's an interesting thing for our family um, to deal with because it's just out there. Um, and, you know, people just use it. It's, it's just a part of the legacy. So it's, that's a, you know, an interesting question. You know, Eric, you hit on something uh, something there, too. You talked about how he, he was a model of, you know, it wasn't just you know, a plucky young guy who said, you know, kick the tire, light the fire, off I go. And, you know, in the same sense, a lot of people think, well, the Wright brothers, just a couple of good old bike mechanics who uh, stumbled onto something, and, you know, that's the American way. And it, it couldn't be for the, further for the truth for either of these pioneers. And something that always struck me, you recreated your grandfather's flight uh, on the, uh, sorry, that was the 75th anniversary, right? Does that sound right, 2002? You know, you went to extraordinary lengths uh to to take advantage of every possible thing you could to mitigate uh, mitigate the risk and even and it, it does nothing to take away from your achievement to say that obviously you know <laughs> flying a single engine light airplane across the Atlantic is is still a huge deal but it's it's obviously not as extreme as it was 90 years ago um, so you could have gotten away with doing a lot less preparation, but you, there's a great documentary out there that covers step by step everything you did to prepare, all the training you did, you did the evasion training and wearing the, the survival suits, having a, a mission control back in St. Louis, all that stuff. Sure. Well, you, you know how I, uh, my prime directive was not to fly nonstop across the Atlantic. It was to um, survive the flight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's always I, a good goal when one flies. And I wanted, I made sure to, to address the big risk issue that he kind of missed, and that was sleep deprivation. He really didn't get much sleep before a 33-hour flight in a, in a really loud airplane. And, and I think that was his biggest risk factor. So, so I made sure to get, I got a full seven hours of sleep the night before, and I was exercising, you know, so I was looking at physiological issues. And, and, and I'll say, you know, the, the parallels are the, the most poignant parts of my life. Grandfather, you know, sort of changed the way that aviation, the world looked at aviation. 
before he flew across, people who flew in airplanes were called called barnstormers and daredevils and flying fools. It was kind of crazy. And after he flew across the Atlantic uh, in 1927, people who flew in airplanes were called pilots and passengers. And and it and it really jump started that commercial era of of aviation um companies came out of the woodworks railroads started buying into um airplane companies and combining and 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 so forth and that that um ortigue prize which kicked it off really um it, it, people forget that that aviation was primarily developed by by warfare and by prizes so in in 1996 under the arch in st louis we took that same message and launched the x prize we we announced a 10 million dollar prize for the first private manned space program and of course in 2004 bert rutan and um his spaceship one flew up into space returned safely and did it again privately funded really jump-starting the the private space industry so i think um you know the parallels of grandfather's flight and the x prize which is now resulting in we have three active companies vying to provide the rocket ships that you you and i can go buy tickets on and fly into space soon it's paralleled in this movie there's kind of a there's a a mythical storyline about discovering this rocket powered backpack and what it represents jim when you mentioned his his eyes you know thinking and recognizing this represents personal transportation that doesn't rely on the infrastructure of roads that's like a hair standing up on the back of your neck realization and and that's where we're at today i i i was exposed to electric flight about 10 years ago at at Oshkosh Air Venture and um i've spent the last 10 years trying to help accelerate the development of that industry and it's right now sort of all coming to fruition with battery development, battery management systems, all enabled by electric propulsion. That's going to really change the way airplanes or air transportation looks. We're not going to be sort of tubes and wings anymore. Um, we're going to, you know, look more like flying cars with uh, that closer resemble drones, but are able to take off vertically and translate and land just like this rocket pack. And that's, I've, I, I am just so excited to live in this era of technology where some of us like me will get a second chance at life. Plus, we're going to see massive disruptions in some of the bigger industries that we know, like automotive and, and aviation and changes in the way we move around the planet. And it's going to get cleaner and quieter. And that, to me, is, is exciting. It's exciting for the next generation to, to live into. That's just I, I love the parallels of this movie and what's going on right now. It really is. I mean, there's there's so many times that people believe that they've re, I forget what the, there's the apocryphal story about the the fellow that didn't take the job at the patent office in 1893 because he thought everything had been invented already, and we didn't you know there, nothing more needed to be done. So why issue new patents? Um, but it, you know we are on so, so many cusps of of such you know like things with getting rid of uh, peak generating with with the idea of massive storage facilities that you can you can level out the uh, the generation of power and and this is you know in in, in aircraft in transportation in your home uh, the idea that what happened to I mean we, we all you know we live in a we live in a time when we can remember how much long distance uh, telephones cost and now we don't even think about who we're calling or where we're calling because it doesn't cost anything 
and the idea of having of having renewable energy. I know we're going far away from the Rocketeer at the moment, but the idea of having renewable and we've never done that before. No, no, no. This is our first off ramp. Yeah, never walked off on yeah. a tangent. <laughs> so, but I mean, uh, but I mean that the idea that this is happening so quickly that I mean, people, you know, like 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 the folks that are working that work behind the X Prize, and you know, people like Elon Musk and and other companies that are that are building the future right in front of us, and the the scale and the speed that seems to be accelerating, that we seem to be changing into the future very quickly. I mean, there will be people listening to this uh, podcast, you know, in five or 10 years ago and probably laughing at us for being so excited about things that will be very commonplace to them. Uh, You know, that's the amazing thing. And we really are talking about the movie. A great movie stimulates that conversation and it and it stimulates more. It's it's like what is possible. And it, it a good movie will free your um, your imagination. And that's that's what grandfather did. It's what Bert Rutan did. It's what Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos do. That once their imagination is free, and they've got the resources to move forward. And some of them are like these guys in the you know flight school that that they're making it up. In their garage, they're yeah. strapping this rocket pack to a, a statue, right? Okay, that's kind of low budget. It's like a hack. Yeah. Uh, and it's but, a statue that looks a little bit like you, Eric. I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, well, better at the statue than me. I'd like to take that for a spin later um, once we've gone through a few statues. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, let's just. That's the beautiful thing. Yeah, like like you were saying. I mean, and it all starts small. I mean, your your grandfather back in 1926 took two bags of mail, threw them in a threw them in a plane, and took them from uh, St. Louis to Chicago, and that started uh, the airline that my mom worked for for 40 years for uh, for American Airlines. But it was all it all started with a little thing. But it, that little step built up the mail system that we take for granted now that mail gets thrown into a plane somewhere or FedEx or whatever gets thrown in and it's there the next day. It's, you know, and, and all this started with just one small step. And I think that's, you know, like you said, we're talking about that in this movie with this, this one small step that they're going to try it out and see what's going on with this, uh, with this new thing that they have where it's going to go. They're not sure, but it, you know, like, like how it's pointing out that little glint, that little that little idea in their eye, that this could be a lot more than what we're just looking at right now. Oh, and it's totally crazy. I mean, really, grandfather was crazy too. Um, <laughs> so was Bert Rutan, and and so was Elon Musk. You have to be just that little bit of crazy um, to to sort of break through the barriers that are that 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 you're facing, or figure out a way that it works. And of course, it's crazy. Until you make it happen, and then and then it's brilliant. You're hailed as oh, or, or then it's, well, it's even it's even, it's even obvious. It becomes obvious, like oh, of course that was going to work. That was you know, and it, it, at the you know it, it, it looks great in hindsight, but uh, you know the idea of your uh, of your grandfather getting in a plane and shooting across the entire Atlantic Ocean and landing in France, that's you know the week before it was nuts. It totally, <clears throat> and that, I think that that's the parallel that we've got. Um, you know, here with Cliff and Peavy, it's it's they are just a little bit crazy, and 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 it takes that, and it's um, it, it's hard. I think when we look at these people 
who are changing the way we move around the planet, the electric car, um, personal air vehicle developers right now. They're crazy. And people in our beloved aviation industry are saying, ah, electric, it's not real. Batteries are too heavy, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's easy to dismiss these things. It's a lot harder to, to turn one of those things into a vehicle and then a vehicle that's safe and then a vehicle that's safe enough and efficient enough to turn into a business. That's what strikes me so much about um, building Tesla and, um, you know, these modern efforts and, and of of course, I'm uh, I'm a little bit myopic on the electric aircraft industry, but it's finally coming to fruition. We've got some extraordinary personal air vehicles, just like this crazy rocket device, that are coming online. We're seeing them on the internet, and they're still crazy, and they're still not real. People are starting to pay attention, but I don't think they have a clue how much this is going to change our lives in the next five years, in the next ten years. And looking back, as you said. We're going to be astounded. Yeah, it, it's I, I mean, a, a year ago from from when we were recording this. I had you know I had heard of Tesla. I, I had heard you know they're making electric cars. I knew nothing about it. I thought okay, it's probably some kind of like a go kart. It runs about as fast as a golf cart, and you can you can use it to get around the block and then charge it for another ten hours. But my son had uh, uh, figuratively plugged me into uh, reading more about Tesla, and I wound up standing in line for a first day reservation on the Model Three, and. <laughs> Over over time, I went out. You know, I thought I really got to get ready for this. I I put a, a high powered uh, charger in my garage. I don't have a, I don't have a Tesla. Understand? I just have the charger, but I do have a. There is a Tesla in my in my garage. It's just the charger. But uh, but <laughs> you got to you know, start somewhere. Having having road test. This isn't a this isn't a commercial for Tesla. Although they are welcome to be an advertiser on our show. I'm always <laughs> open for that. Um, but yeah, we don't want the Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's like uh, I, I I went and took a, a test drive in a Tesla, and I when I got out and I had to get back in my old. Toyota truck, I felt like I was walking into the past because this I had held the future in my hands. This is how everybody's going to be driving electric cars. They'll, they'll, they'll bring them home. They'll plug them in like uh, like a cell phone. You'll never you'll never stop at a gas station again. They get you know 250 300 miles on a. I don't drive 300 miles a day. Um, you know, and the idea that you can plug it in, go have a cup of coffee, and then it's ready to go all over again, and they make no noise at all. As you were saying before, one of the things we don't even notice is noise pollution. We think of things like smoke and water pollution, things like that. But just the idea that the world's going to get a little bit quieter, it, it, it's something that – it's a quality of life thing that you'll – you don't – you won't miss it when it's gone. So, um, you, yeah. You notice it, though. And, yeah. And I – You've touched on a really great point because noise, I think, is one of the greatest threats to the aviation industry. And through we fly a plane and we broadcast noise over a huge area. And if we don't drive the dialogue and develop the solutions to that, someone else is going to. And we in the aviation industry are not going to like what that looks like. I mean, you could just look at Europe and see how constrained their aviation, general aviation industry is. That's starting to happen here more and more. Um, and as people are enabled with the, you know, the world's data at their fingertips with their cell phones and the ability to organize, there's a lot more pressure being put on. And we know now that noise is bad for you. We've known it actually for a long time. It causes heart disease and hypertension. And, and I think to the extent that people say, oh, I love aircraft noise. Well, great, but not everybody does. 
And, and that attitude is that sort of dinosaur attitude. The companies that figure out how to deal with noise are the ones that are going to thrive and survive into the future. The ones that don't are going to go away. That's led to a great relationship for me with Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University because they produce a lot of noise because they're training a lot of um, students and the community around there would rather not have that noise. And so they see this issue coming to a head and, and we're doing some amazing noise work at the Eagle Flight Research Center and partnering with the National Park Service to do noise testing over the national parks because they have issues with noise. I think that issue, um, also, I'll, I'll, let me just give a plug for, we've developed a hybrid electric consortium because one of the stepping stones, just like with automobiles, because the energy density of a gallon of gasoline isn't quite where the energy density in that rocket pack that we're talking about, we're not quite there yet, but it's coming. But it's reasonable to assume that a turbine power plant, for example, that's in the back of your airplane that can be muffled can power the batteries for the electric aircraft. So we'll have a hybrid, just like a Toyota Prius, to really bridge the gap between all electric hybrid electric and then large, you know, all electric aircraft in the future. The hybrid electric consortium, which is large original equipment manufacturers, is mostly concerned with noise, then direct operating costs, then climate change. And, and it's because those are the things that will shut them down faster than anything. And those are the big pressures that they're feeling. So you've touched on an issue that's huge. And, you know, one of the big barriers to supersonic flight noise. People just don't tolerate too much of it, which I'm not sure what I'm going to do about all my talking. But um, maybe you guys. Uh, There's no such thing as too much, Eric. No such thing as too much. (laughs) You know, one thing that really, uh, really struck me as, as we're sort of stepping through this stuff, following the conversation as it goes, is, you know, we're here, we're talking about this uh, this movie that was made a little more than 25 years ago. It's set about 80 years ago, 79 years ago. And uh, and yet we all take from it this uh, this wonderful forward thinking optimism. You know, Jim, you and I talked to Brian Fees about the World's Fair uh, the 39 World's Fair and the the tone of optimism that ran through that and and that for a period piece it, it's really striking me now just how how forward looking the tone of this movie is and also it's unfortunately sometimes it's a, an unfortunate reminder of how maybe so many of us uh, lose that optimism from time to time whereas here 1938 going into 39 the World's Fair all of that great stuff everything was about looking ahead you know, there's no problem we can't take on and uh, and put our heads together and figure out a way to solve it and make everything better. You know, we don't always have that now, but, you know, forgive a little bit of gush here, Eric, my, my old friend, but uh, I spend 10 minutes with you talking about this kind of thing, and I get it back immediately. So I, I'm very uh, I'm very lucky to have that, to have you as a friend in my life that can always bring me back around to that, that great forward thinking. Thank, thank you, Hal. You know, I think um, too often we can get stuck in the bad news especially if we watch news like the constantly negative news network. We live in one of the most abundant times in history. There are less wars, less less poverty, less statistically. The news gives you all kinds of bad news because it stimulates your amygdala and your brain and, and you react to that and they're able to sell you know advertising spots. But one of the things that I really learned 
through my um, work with the XPRIZE Foundation is that we really can change the world. And it's hard, but if we apply ourselves, it's absolutely possible. And and we did it, and I want to do it again. It's, it's totally addicting. <laughs> I guess to, to let yourself go into the negative is just not where I want to live. I've got enough, you know, health issues and drama, family drama, whatever going on that I, I don't need to accentuate it. The future, I think, is extraordinary. Maybe I'm just way too optimistic, but I don't have the guarantee of living tomorrow or in a decade. And so I really feel like I have to live today and I have to celebrate and and promote and build a brilliant future for the next generation. I think my grandparents did that for me. They didn't always get it right, but they tried. And I want to do that for the next generation. That's just, I think, the way that that everybody should operate. And if and if we turn off the crisis news network and and start really focusing on and building that future, the more we live into that. And I think um, uh, one more, I guess, shameless plug. I gave the um, commencement speech at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Daytona on Monday. And I'll tell you what, those guys are creating the future that we're going to live into. And those students and the most powerful sort of takeaway, I think, is when you when you look at politicians and you get upset, you need to blow it off because those guys, they're just not as effective as you and I applying ourselves and creating the future. And and that's the key takeaway. I don't know how else to say this, but preach it, brother. That's all. It's really, it's, you're you're exactly right. I can't tell you anything more than amen. It's just it, it, the future is coming up so fast, and it gets it. You know, it's it's here already. We just have to we just have to see those parts of the future that are revealing themselves right now and push for those parts that we like. I, I, I can't I can't agree more. And of all the epic misadventures we've had so far in the Rocketeer Minute, uh, Jim, I believe this, I have to go back to my notes, but I think this is the first time we've accidentally started a church. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Tune in, tune in next week. Wow. Um, but never knows. Yeah, well, well Eric, th- thank you again so much for being on our show. This has been uh, amazing and uh, and very uplifting. And, 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 and thank you for, for sharing your life and your family's uh, illustrious history with us. And uh, more to come. I know. I, I can. I can feel it. That, that there's more to come. But th- thank you again. And uh, for- absolutely, uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure um, to meet you, Cliff and Peavy. And uh, <laughs> oh no, I meet Hal and Jim. Yeah. I look forward to next time. Awesome. I've been mistaken for worse. That's wow. for sure. <laughs> well, uh, for for those of you out there uh, who are wanting to join in, in this conversation on social media, we are all over the place. Go uh, check us out on Twitter at Rocketeer Minute. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute and also at the big site RocketeerMinute.com where you can uh, read about this episode. Uh, we will also have uh, links to some of Eric's sites so you can you can follow on uh, how the X, X Prize went and where um, uh, where other things are going with the Lindbergh family. So we'll, we'll have that on this and, current, current episode. Jim, let me yeah. derail you one second because I forgot to mention something. You talked about links to Eric's site. Everybody, do yourself a huge favor. Check out LindberghGallery.com. We will have the link up. Um, in particular, if you like the aesthetic of this film, you will absolutely love some of Eric's uh, rocket sculptures that he has done. Absolutely breathtaking. I'm looking at one on my desk that sits proudly right next to my Rocketeer helmet, as a matter of fact. So uh, anyway, sorry to derail you, Jim. No, no, that's that's right. You're going, but you're, uh, you're right but on you're right on the had, money there. Yeah. 
no, but, uh, but yeah, check, please, please check that out. Um, but, uh, and also if, if you want to listen to this one, if we have great episodes and don't we have great guests or what? I mean, this is top notch. I am, I am high-fiving us over here. <laughs> now, who knows who we're going to have on next week? Just, just, just check us out. Uh, but you can get us, subscribe to us on either iTunes or on Google play. I'm sure there's a bunch of other places that carry us, but you can go in, search for rocket, rocketeer minute, uh, click subscribe and you get this delivered hot and fresh every night at, you know, somewhere around the stroke of midnight. So, uh, check us out next week uh, have a great weekend everybody be safe go try out an electric car there's a bunch of them out there you can you can feel a piece of the future if you go take a test drive so do, do that that's your homework uh, but we'll see you here monday bright and early on the rocketeer minute so until next time over and out go get it kid